everyone, and welcome to The Art of Podcasting, Episode 9, James's Rig, recorded April 15th, 2012, and brought to you by Element Opie Productions, elementopie.com. This week, we're going to pick up in our series of uh, uh, equipment-centered shows. We had uh, Steve uh, last month tell us about his rig. This week, James gets the spotlight. He's going to tell us about all the blinky lights and turny knobs around him. And uh, we will just sit back and pepper him with questions and try to make him cry at every possible opportunity. So uh, let me introduce said man, Mr. Steve, and wait, who did I just say? James. Mr. James Messer, also known as the professor at professormesser.com. Hey, James, what's going on? I'm already crying inside. Well, we'll beat that out of you. (laughs) Yeah, we'll make make it worse. And my cohort in punishing him this week is Mr. (laughs) Steve Cherubino of howtopodcast.biz. Hey, Steve. Hey, Mark. Hey, James. What's going on? I didn't realize it was going to be like this. <laughs> no, I warned you. I told okay. you that we were going to be the virtual pinata, right? I that just we were thought gonna... it was just a, a saying. I thought it was a colloquialism. Oh, okay. Okay. You just thought that I was joking when I said we were going to verbally berate you at, at will. Okay. <laughs> That's fine. I can take it. I know you can. You're married. Any married man can take it. Yes, <laughs> As the saying, if a tree falls in a forest or if a man speaks in a forest and there's not a woman around to hear it, is he still wrong? <laughs> Correct, sir. Yes. <laughs> oh. So uh, this weekend is tax weekend. Technically, today would be tax day in the U.S., April 15th. But due to some uh, the fact that today is a Sunday and tomorrow is a holiday in Washington, D.C., which I just found out about that rule, Correct. it'll be Tuesday, the 17th. Is tax day. So you have a 48 hour reprieve for you um, uh, significant procrastinators out there. So uh, go uh, have a sandwich, take a nap, and don't worry about it for at least another 37 hours. I'm sure the servers will be just fine on the 17th. <laughs> yeah. There shouldn't be any lag at all. Shouldn't be a problem. <laughs> That's my biggest concern. I do everything electronic, I send it electronic, and I, I worry that waiting till the very last day is just going to not bode well for me. Yeah, and the IT guys who work for, you know, TurboTax or, or H&R Block or all those guys, right? They're just, it's like this is their their worst nightmare in spades. This is like everybody else. I had one uh, company I used to work with um, that was a customer of mine. Their biggest day was Christmas Day because of their particular product. So it was one of those weird scenarios where if you work for them, you're working all day Christmas. Oh, it sucks. Mm-hmm. This is the Super Bowl for tax attorneys. <laughs> All right, so what else has gone on this weekend? Anything interesting to talk about? It's been a busy weekend for me. I had a live event this weekend. I have another one next weekend. It's sort of, uh, I, I recorded a ton of, rec- of videos this weekend. I feel like I've just sat here in front of this camera and talked to it constantly, constantly, constantly. Well, and we appreciate you taking another hour out to do it again. Well, sure. Why not? Well, at this point, it's a drop in the bucket, right? <laughs> You're over the hump. But I know that feeling, James. <laughs> so let's see. A couple of weeks ago, it was all about recording. And last week, it was all about site updates. And this week, it's uh, or you were doing editing and stuff like three weeks yeah. ago. And then site updates, and now it's recording. So presumably, the cycle will now repeat because you have recorded. So next weekend, you'll have to go and produce. Welcome to my little world of just constant motion. All the way through the circle. Absolutely correct, sir. Yes. Lather, rinse, repeat. Indeed. J- James, you're working too hard. <laughs> well, I got to do it sometime. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't do it nine to five, so he's got to right. do it on the weekends, right? Why not? 
So, uh, James, you have a new piece of gear you want to tell us about. Uh, that's, that's mine. Oh, that's Steve. Oh, it's, it oh, was, it's the same color. I should have put color. my name there. I'm that's sorry. Okay. So, Steve, what's your new piece of equipment? <laughs> about a half an hour before the show started, I, I've been wanting to get a new uh, device. And I went out and buy, I bought a new iPad. And this is bad for several reasons. Uh, first of all, I do an Android show. And when they get wind of this, I think they might try to physically hurt me. But um, what, what I'm basically doing is a lot of music, uh, in a, lot, a lot in the music field, production and different things. And an iPad is really where all the developers are writing their apps these days for, for audio stuff like that. So um, I did kind of bite the bullet and bought a new iPad. Now, here's the dilemma. I went to uh, one of the only places that had them in stock right now, Walmart. Actually, the only place that had them in stock that was open at 10 o'clock at night, Walmart. <laughs> And uh, all they had was, and I wanted the 16 gigabyte Wi-Fi version, 500 bucks. And all they had was white. Now, it seems like every time I buy an Apple device, I'm faced with this dilemma where they, all they have is white. And early on, I bought a white iPhone. I just said, Forget, I don't care what color it is. Let me just have it. And I put a black case on it and I was happy. But here, the dilemma is, and I'm not sure what to think about this, and I didn't even open it yet. It's still in the wrapping. It's right here, is, <laughs> is a white iPad girly. Or not, and I wanted to do your guys' take on that before I decide to return this or not. Now, see, a guy walking around rocking a white iPad says, "I am so manly that I can handle this." See, it's only the guys who worry about their manhood who who have the issue. See, absolutely girly, (laughs) no question. Really, James? This this, (laughs) not really, no. But I say that all the time, and I get in trouble. I was, in fact, when I first I was getting an iPhone for. And um, I pre-ordered it. I showed up at the AT&T store and I, I had, the guy says, okay, what color did you get? I got, well, I got a black one, of course. And he looked at me and said, well, I ordered the white one. Hey, <laughs> really? So, so this account's going to get messed up is what you're saying, right? So, oh, man. And I, and I'm really still, I don't know what to do. And I did Google is a white iPad, really, <laughs> those exact words. And just reading the forums in that was highly entertaining because it was almost on the level of reading YouTube comments. But yeah. um, I don't. I still don't know what I'm going to do. I'll decide by the end of the show, though. Just cover it with electrical tape on the back. <laughs> You're going to put it in a <laughs> case, so maybe the case you put it in, it won't matter anyway. Right. Yeah, I'm going to get a black cover for it, but yeah. when I open it up and then everybody sees that it's white, I don't know what the reaction is going to be. I have an iPad 1, the original iPad that I've had yeah. since they came out. Never put it in a case. Doesn't have a scratch on it. I, I think cases are a waste of money. Uh, and I hand it to my 7-year-old on a regular basis. It's not like I baby it. They're, right. they're tough devices. Gorilla glass on, glass on the front, aluminum on the back. You don't need a case. All right. Well, I'll give it a shot. Yeah. So, so uh, and frankly, white, black, what difference does it make? It's the fact that you have an iPad is what makes you girly. <laughs> I know. I know. I felt like I had to do it. You know, there's so a lot of, uh, before we get into the, sorry to keep going on on this, but there's a lot of magazines that I still like to read about music and they all have iPad versions now. Mm-hmm. They don't have Android versions, some of them. And so I, I had to get it. I was forced by the universe. I, I'm Any? not. I'm not going to jump on your back about it. If if that's where you're happy, you you said you were an iPhone owner, so you're already in that universe, right? You have a no. I mean, I got the iPhone a couple years ago. Yeah. And now I have Android. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm an Android I, I, user. I'm not a device Nazi, you know. Uh, yeah. And in, in the iPad is actually one of those cases where 
they are not premium in terms of prices because an Android tablet would cost you roughly the same with the same specs. So, you know, get the one you like. All right. Well, thank you guys for your advice. Now, what I would take issue with is the fact that you had to go pick it up at 1030 on a Sunday night. You know, that's what got you with this dilemma. That yeah, that I can't control. That is a problem of the, mine. The lack of planning or or <laughs> foresight on any in anything. You deserve a white iPad. <laughs> Fine, I'll take that punishment. It's <laughs> one way to look at it. <laughs> I've I've never been an impulse buyer. That's not an issue for me. And thank you guys in the chat room for your input. I'm taking it all in. <laughs> input that's in quotes. <laughs> <laughs> Constructive criticism. Okay, so uh, let's move on to the topic at hand, and that's uh, uh, James's. James's. I never know what the proper way to say that is. Yeah, this is a problem my whole life. <laughs> yes. Um, so is I put it in the notes. James apostrophe. Is that mm-hmm. proper? Is that how that, it should be? That written? is proper. That's exactly how it should be. Yes, sir. Okay, but how should you say it? Is it James's? James's. It is James's. Okay. So there we go. Grammar lesson done. Doesn't sound good anyway. You say it, but that's the way you say it. Anybody ever call you Jimmy just to get around that? My dad is Jim, so the only way we tell each other apart is I'm James and he's Jim. So if somebody says Jim, I don't even respond. My brain doesn't even fire that synapse. Gotcha. I just don't even know you're talking to me. I don't understand some of the. How do you get Jim out of James? How do you get? I, uh, uh, I understand Bill out of William, sort of. Mm. And, I, and but I don't get Jim out of James, and I certainly don't get Jack out of John. That no. doesn't make any sense to me. It's got to go back to some some ancient language. Maybe it's a Latin thing. Okay, so <laughs> since none of us speak Latin, <laughs> let's talk about sound stuff. So, see, uh, just talk. Uh, no, James. See, I don't Hi, think I've ever doing? mentioned. Good to see you. Nice to meet you. <laughs> I don't think I've ever mentioned it on this show, and I try not to mention it, but since I flubbed twice already, uh, I will go ahead and mention it. Um, I have, and I'm not making a joke here. I know sometimes it's hard to tell with me. Uh, I have a, a short circuit in my brain. It's called anomic aphasia. Uh, the, the part of my brain that handles nouns is scrambled. Um, it's, it's a real thing. Uh, so I, when I deal with not just proper names, not just people's names, but any noun, uh, when I reach into the grab bag of nouns, sometimes it's just not there, and sometimes I will get the wrong word entirely. I will point to a hammer and say, hand me that donut. And in my brain, I think I've said hammer. And so uh, when, when I flub names, it's not because I don't know you. It's because I literally, at that moment in time, do not know what your name is. I have frequently had to look at my driver's license because somebody asked me my name. And it's just not there. There's a hole in my brain where nouns are concerned. As co-hosts on on a show with you, we should, of course, be very sensitive to this, but you can guarantee that Steve and I will be doing something along these lines at some point. (laughs) Yeah. On one of the other shows I do, uh, the the teacher show, they refer to each other as like Bob and Sally just to mess with me. Uh, And and that's not their names, of course. So anyway, it's just... um, it's a good thing I didn't choose a profession where I had to speak for a living because that would have been really disastrous. <laughs> I didn't even notice, Mark. So, but thank you. You I, could have never told me that, and I would have been perfectly I, content. I have learned to work around it for the most part, but oftentimes when you hear me say "um uh uh," th- that's a filler because the word I'm looking for simply is not there, and I'm routing around it trying to find a different word. Ah, uh-huh. well, you'll fit in just fine with this crew. 
All right. Yes. So, James. Yes. How you doing? <laughs> start uh, start with the with from the point that the sound leaves your mouth down. So let's okay. start with the not only the microphone. Let's go with the the pop screen. Let's go there and 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 talk about what you have and why you chose it and yada yada. You know, the pop screen's an interesting choice to start with since we're going in the direction of the the actual sound waves. Um, this pop screen is one that you can only get. It's a custom-made one from um, BSW, uh, Broadcasters something something, BSWUSA.com. And it's a, a pop filter they've built for themselves to sell. So they're the only ones you can get this from. Um, and they've made it to fit the RE20, which is a pretty popular voice type microphone and they've made it to fit the Heil PR40. So I thought that was a pretty interesting choice on their side to actually make something like this because of course other pop filters are big and they're black and they have those views on it and and the Heil microphone that I use it has a pop filter built into it. You don't even necessarily need an external pop filter but um, it just looks kind of cool. Well, I dispute that statement that you don't need it because I have used with and without mine, and you can definitely tell a difference without it. Well, there's certainly certainly a difference with it, but there, are, unlike other microphones, there is a built-in pop filter right. in in the Heil. And so that's called the Repop, right? It is the Repop, and, and if it's you, all metal and it looks cool. If you do a Google search for pop filter Heil PR40, you'll get lots of different ones, and and they're often much like the one I'm using right now. There's some sort of screen uh, on on top of uh, uh, the mic, and and some of them are a little more streamlined than others. But the one that Steve's using here is the only one that actually looks like it belongs. No, James, the one that James is using here is the only one that really looks like it belongs. It, it's it's the same sort of champagne color as the mic, and it 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 looks like it should be on the high OPR 40. And yeah. if I cared about my appearance in any way, that's the one I would buy. <laughs> Me too. It, it works quite good. nicely. And it looks pretty good. So it was a nice, nice comparison. I figured if I'm going to get the whole thing, and of course, a lot of what I do is on video. I thought it would be nice to have something that was not obtrusive, that just kind of blended in with everything. And it certainly fit the bell. See, I look like I'm broadcasting from the inside of a large coffin. Clearly, aesthetics are not high up on my list. <laughs> a picture to go behind you, the picture of the ocean or something. Everybody yeah. will think you're on the beach. And so you how have... Much, how much is that pop filter? The one on James? Uh, I don't even remember, but... Gotcha. Uh, it's about 60 bucks. I've okay. looked at it a few times. Uh, and and so you have the mic nestled into a particular type of mic holder. Tell us a little bit about that. Um, this is uh, the, the Heil microphone uh, from Heil Radio or Heil, um, HeilSound.com. It's a PR40 and the PR40 has a few things that you can get with it that can accessorize it up a bit. Uh, one of those um, is the, the the microphone itself, of course, and it's on a Heil arm, a Heil boom that's designed not to make a lot of noise when you move it back and forth. And those of you watching the video right now can see that I'm moving it back and forth. Uh, but there's also uh, the add-ons for the PR40, and I'm using the shock mount that's designed for the PR40 itself. Um, that's that's nice as well because you can bounce this thing around when you're moving it around and adjusting yourself while you're talking. And even though the microphone is moving, you're not getting a lot of noise back through the mic. And just for contrast, let me show you me moving my mic around without that. 
Yeah, we got to get you one of those. Yeah, so I just don't move my mic. Gotcha. And James is pretty much always has his hands on his moving it around. It's one of the things that once you can, you do, I think. Yeah, and I'm constantly moving back and forth and doing different things and trying to get that in the right place. And, you know, you can hear it. You can probably hear it better on your monitors that you're using, on your headphones that you're using better than it comes through on the recording. So it's one of those things where I'm just constantly adjusting. I got to give props to the shock mount too. Because uh, I, I, I just have a little desktop stand, like a little pedestal stand with the shot, my mic into the shock mount and it stops so much noise. Like I've banged on the desk and it has not come through in some, some of my shows. Yeah, if you're using a desk mount, sometimes sim- <clears throat> something as simple as typing on your keyboard will come through. Uh, yeah. And yeah, you really need a, I, I need a shock mount. It's one that's on my list, but they're expensive and I'm a tightwad. They are expensive. This one is $105 retail. So you, really? you got to want it. Yeah, and I Mine that, came with a, my, an old condenser I got at Guitar Center for 100 bucks with the mic. And the, the Heil fits into this one. So. Yeah, you don't have to get one just for the Heil. Anything that'll hold a large diaphragm mic should hold it. Should. Yeah. I just bought another Heil, I say just, a number of months ago when I started up my podcast and had a second person in the room, so I need another microphone. And it had a package deal where they would send the microphone, the shock mount, and the boom for just a little bit more than just the mic. So it was a heck of a deal. And um, I think- On I Amazon, say James? Got, I think I want to, not through Amazon. I want to say it was BSW USA again. Okay. Um, might have been Sweetwater. It was one of these things where it was difficult to find one at the time. For some reason, it was 10 o'clock at night. I was trying to find one. <laughs> <laughs> and you had to have it now. I had to have it. That's when I do all my shopping. <laughs> quite literally. I got to do, I got to have my stuff, my gear. That's how it is. <laughs> All right. So uh, you mentioned the boom arm. That's connected to your desk or the wall or what? It is connected to my desk. In my scenario, I have some 27-inch monitors that I use that are in front of this. So behind it, I've screwed and mounted a 12-inch Heil extension to the desk, and it is what the, the boom goes into. Right. And so you have the ability to move that thing around at will, make it comfortable, and it's nice and quiet. It is. It's getting a little old. I need to. I need to get some oil in here and and get it a little bit better. But for the most part, um, it's in really good shape. And it's it's one where they build their booms to be very very quiet. I've used booms before that the the everything you would move on the boom made a noise. And when you're trying to do audio, probably not the best idea. Yeah, I actually hacked a uh, uh, a desk lamp with mm-hmm. the articulated arm. Oh, sure. There you go. Pop the lamp off, put a mic stand on it, uh, mic end on it, and uh, it was okay, but it was noisy and it wasn't designed to hold the weight of a good large diaphragm mic. So I don't right. recommend that, but it's something you can try if you just have one laying around like I did. Yeah, there's tutorials on that. It's like Ikea for seven bucks lamp. I bought one, but I didn't hack it enough to put a mic on it. Yeah, mine was one of those old magnifying glass yeah. lights, and the magnifying mm-hmm. glass was broken, so it was kind of useless. So I, I tried that, and, and I'm not using it. I'm using just a regular mic stand now. Yeah. Okay, so once we go out of the uh, mic into a cable, anything specific or just whatever XLR cable you happen to have laying around? 
whatever I have lying around, whatever one, I, I don't spend a lot of money on XLR because it's not one that's going to be thrown into a bag that has to be very durable. I'm not going from place to place. I'm not touring. It sits in the room. So uh, a moderately priced XLR cable is what I stuck on here. It's probably even too long. It's one of those where you measure it out and you look and go, yeah, that's about 60 feet. No, I can touch the, the mixer. It's right here. <laughs> Why did I buy a 60-foot cable? Uh, <laughs> One of these days, I'll get one that's properly sized. But what was I thinking? I just recently went exactly the opposite. I thought, I should need more than a six-foot cable. It's right here. No. I should have gotten at least a 15-footer. <laughs> well, it always happens. Right. Can't win. But you should. I mean, of course, you're trying to size it up. But the, the shorter the cable, the better the quality is. And it's I have noticed cable part, differences. Yeah. I said it before. I, I hate monster, you know, monster Cable's whole strategy about just trying to gouge people for cables. But for analog cables, especially XLR cables, I, I've noticed, I've A and B'd some and I've noticed difference. So uh, cable is important. It sure is. Is there a brand you recommend, Steve? Mogami. It's great. And um, I think I mentioned I did a course at a recording studio a couple months ago. They did their whole, and they built the studio from the ground up recently, like 2010. All Mogami cables they used. Every single cable. So... That's uh, that's it's a pro cable, and the Mogami Gold is which the kind I got. And I hate to say it, Monster makes a good cable too. I use it for a different mic. I hate to condone, like you know, spot condone using Monster cables, but well, the reality is, of course, that Monster has they use very good. Uh, equipment to build their cables. They use very good materials to make their cables. The online studies that have been done that really put meters on and measure with an oscilloscope, the quality of the sound coming through, it gets good ratings every time. They, they mark yeah. them up, but then again, you're getting a very good cable there. And for analog, you're absolutely right. Get a cable that's good. Don't, don't chintz on that because the sound is so important, whether you're doing just audio or whether you're doing audio and video. Yes. Okay, and uh, you've mentioned it a little before, but you've got it here in the notes. So we'll talk about your backup mic when you're traveling and can't use the the fancy Heil setup. Yeah, and I'm I'm planning to do this again. I have a Studio Projects little square mic that is both an XLR and a USB mic, and it's very small. It is uh, uh, just about a little bit bigger than uh, a, a deck of cards. Um, and, it, and it's it's such a small, tiny thing that you can take with you that I'm I'm really looking forward to taking this on the road and giving it a shot so I can just plug in via USB in a hotel room. It is a condenser mic, but it's got a very good sound to it. And if I'm traveling, I tend to have better control of my surroundings, for instance, in a hotel room. There's not a lot going on. I can turn off the TV and generally you have a nice, nice sound that you can use, not a lot of noise from the outside. You must stay in better hotels than I do. I try to. Yeah. And when I'm staying at the Motor Inn, you know, that's uh, it's pretty noisy because I'm down there on street level next to the semis. When I'm when I'm traveling and I have to do a lot of work, I ask a place that has the door on the inside. There you go. Yep. <laughs> that's a nice looking mic. I want one of them. And, and it really actually is called a little sound. square. That's the real name. You didn't just say it's just a little square. It's it's the LSM, the little square mic. That's absolutely right. So Steve wants one, but he'll have to wait until a Sunday night at around 11 p.m. to uh, go and get one at uh, a nearest Walmart. Yes. Well, they, also, they also have them in white, <laughs> if you're wondering. <laughs> I, I, they have them in pink, too, but I just went with white on that one. <laughs> oh, my God. They do. They do. They have them in you pink. They have them in uh, blue. They have them in black. They have them in red. 
if they, all they had was pink and it was Walmart 10 o'clock, I'd have to get it. Yeah. I'm just saying. Sounds I've done same. it before. Sure. <laughs> okay. So uh, let's talk about the mics that you have used in your time. You have settled on this primary and this backup. What have you tried and refused and for what reasons? Well, I, I wish I could say that I've spent a lot of time evaluating different microphones, trying to understand the nuances of my particular style of communication and finding and matching my voice with a mic that really fits the individual. Uh, but I didn't. I saw what Leo Laporte used and I bought that. <laughs> and that's a pretty darn good reason. Do what it the pros was. do, right? Uh, I figure, well, and, and of course, if you go out and read all these things about what mic do I get? And there's plenty of blog articles you can search on that tell you what mic should you get? Well, you should go down to a music store and you should listen to all of the different microphones and you should try to understand which one's going to work best for you for the price you're looking for and, and, all, and so on and so on and so on. But the reality is that most places don't have them set up in a room where you can try them. They're usually behind right. a counter. They're under glass. They don't want you to try them because it involves breaking the box and pulling them out. And these microphones are not inexpensive. And spitting on them. And spitting on them. And they don't want people messing up the microphones. So it's hard to be in a scenario. Maybe if you're in a major metropolitan city, in L.A., a New York City, a Chicago, or something of that sort, you might have that option. Uh, but for me, I'm in Tallahassee, Florida. I don't have that option. So the best I could do is listen to what other people did with their mics and you've got YouTube, you can find everybody testing a mic and comparing them to other mics. And so that's what I did. I listened to other people and what they were doing and looked at some of the major broadcaster mics, uh, looked at what Leo was doing on Twit, uh, went out. Uh, I've used actually Heil mics before I bought this one. I have bought a Heil because I do amateur radio and I used a Heil mic on my amateur radio rig. So I already knew the name, already knew who he was, already understood his background. And I thought, well, another Heil Mike, I can't really go too wrong with this. We'll see how this works out. All right. And so uh, would you recommend that for a newbie? In fact, we had somebody in the chat room earlier saying, you know, what mic should I use? The uh, the Heil is, is a little expensive. The, the little square mic is less so. Uh, what would you recommend as a good starting point for a microphone? Well, it's hard to tell because I really didn't, I, I mean, I had the luxury of getting the Heil first off and it was a huge expense for me at the time. It was a big investment, but now we're talking many, many years ago that I've had this mic. It's now, you could take all of the other equipment away, but you may not take my microphone away from <laughs> me. It is the last thing that you may take. Um, <laughs> the, I love the mic. So uh, I would tell someone, try to find a mic with the same type of of features as this. It's a dynamic microphone. We talked earlier about dynamic and condenser mics and why it would be good or why it would be bad. Maybe it's worth doing even a whole show on something like that. But there are some other, other brand names you can go to where the prices are a lot less. But the reality is the mics that you would get there are still very, very good. If you get any mic that's, that's $35 and up, you're going to get very good audio out of it. Um, so Shure makes some very good microphones, uh, some of theirs. I think, Steve, you mentioned in a previous um, a previous podcast that you had used some Shures in the past, didn't you? Yes. Uh, my first mic was a Shure SM48, something 48. I don't think it was yeah. SM. But um, I recently just bought an SM58 just to have in my collection. Not that I have a big collection, but it's just a 
workhorse mic that is still professionally used in studios and live. So it's just a, they make solid stuff. And I got it at Sam Mash for I think for sixty nine bucks. It was on sale. So That's can't great. really go wrong with that. Yeah, the fifty seven and fifty eight are both really inexpensive, under seventy five dollars, and and good mics. Those are industry workhorses. People talk about using them as hammers, right. and they still will work great. For yeah, you. it's true. Uh, however, we don't recommend hammering nails with your. Don't microphone. do that. Don't go like that. Okay, so uh, out of the mic, into the inexpensive cable, out of the cable, into what? Into, uh, into a mixer. Into, in my case, an Alesis mixer. This is the Alesis Multimix 16 Firewire, and uh, not a bad mixer. I've, I've used Alesis mixers in the past. They are a good mid-range mixer. They're not the most inexpensive thing you'll find. They're not the most expensive thing you'll have to buy, which fit pretty well with my budget at the time. Uh, this this one I got as a Firewire mixer. I had their USB mixer prior to this, and it worked pretty well from a USB perspective. I didn't find it perfect. Uh, I got their Firewire mixer really not planning to use the Firewire capabilities, but I wanted a mixer that had a lot of channels on it. And this one happened to be on special. Maybe it was an open box buy. Maybe it was just priced wrong. I don't know. But it had a lot of channels on it. And I figure we'll get it. And the reality is I'm, I'm not even using. I think I counted tonight I'm using 12 channels on this um, for 16 that are here. So I'm wasting a lot of room on this particular mixer because I don't have a lot of XLR inputs going into it. But, um, but I don't use the Firewire piece of it. And, and we talked about this earlier. My, my contention is that Firewire out of mixers just doesn't work. Um, and there are, there are exceptions to this rule. But my USB out of this did not work. Firewire out of this, maybe it's an, an Alesis thing. But my, my history with these types of mixers, and it, it hasn't been just Alesis, it's been other brands as well, is that they do mixers really, really, really well. They don't do computer drivers really, really, really well. And ultimately, it is the driver that you're loading into the computer that interfaces with that mixer that is oh so very important to you. And it doesn't help you if you've got a Firewire mixer and you're plugging it into your computer and half of your applications can't see that audio interface. So that's not going to work for you for half of the apps that you use. And the apps that you are using are at sometimes not as solid, not as reliable as you would like them to be. So my philosophy uh, until Steve talks me down off the ledge because he's had great success with Firewire is that I will buy a mixer and I will analog out and put it into an audio interface to get it into my computer from a company that makes audio interfaces and does those very well. So how are you multi-channeling the audio out into your computer? I'm not. Okay. I'm not. I got a, just a single input into the PC, into the, into the PC, into the Mac, into whatever I use, into my iPad. Uh, just take it right out of a monitor out, a, a control room out, whatever I'm using, an aux out, and I just bring it all right into the computer. And I don't, I just mix on the board rather than mixing in the computer. But most of the time, I'm not doing like you are. I don't have a lot of people dialed in on a podcast. It's me in a room or it's me in a room with someone else. And I can easily mix that together right there on the board. Um, I don't have a lot of different things going on. There's not a lot of music. There's not a lot of sounds. And a lot of the things that I do for training courses are all offline. If I go through a, a, a training course, I do a, a sample and I, I mess something up or it doesn't sound right, I just start over and do it again and do a re-record, do a take two. So I don't run into issues where I need multi-track capability. It's one of those things where I would love to have used it, but in practical use, 
there were things that just did not operate. For example, on this one, I can plug this in and Skype would work fine on this input and output on the Firewire mixer. Go to meeting, which is something I use all the time, did not. And so the just situations like that ended up not being something that would work for me. Yeah, Firewire drivers do tend to be wonky. But I think I can safely speak for Steve when I say that uh, we both tried not doing multi-channel and it sucked, right? I could see where that would be an extremely important part for you guys. Yeah. Yeah. If you're doing live podcasting with multiple guests, you really should have it. But it, for what James is doing, seems like it's a fine solution. Right. And, and it, it, that's one of the things, the reasons I like having him on is he has a, an entirely different perspective about the way we do things. And it, it just goes to, to showcase the fact that, that podcasting can be done so many different ways. And if yes. you're getting started, you don't need a Firewire mixer. You could just need the basic input output in a mixer, have a way to turn the volume up and down and go into a relatively inexpensive USB interface and you're golden. Absolutely. Yeah. Now, can I kind of talk about what James said about like me possibly disagreeing with him about how, how great Firewire is? Um, I, I actually agree with James because he was right and he kind of nailed it. it. It really depends on the manufacturer's drivers and how good they are because honestly, a, a, a lot of audio interfaces, not with mixers and without mixers um, connected to them, audio interfaces are pro interfaces are Firewire. I mean, a couple years ago, they would have laughed at you if you said use USB professionally. They just weren't around because USB right. 2.0 wasn't out yet. So they were using Firewire. And on Macs, which is a lot what a lot of audio professionals use, they worked fine. Now, Firewire um, with PCs, it could be a different story. I've read in a lot of forums, if you don't have like a TI chipset for your Firewire card, it's gonna, not going to work. And it, it's, it is a little wonky in that respect too. But... Um, it's, I don't think it's as much the fault of Firewire as it is the uh, the drivers. So if Elisa's can't make good drivers, then it sucks if they come out with a Firewire mixer. No matter how good the hardware is, uh, it's not going to work right. So, yeah, I think you nailed it, James. It's it's the software in that for that problem. So it sucks that they, Elisa's didn't make good drivers for that. Okay, I also say one more thing. USB nowadays, after 2.0 and 3.0 is coming out, a lot of audio interfaces are going USB now. I mean, FireWire is kind of on the way out. So don't be, you know, discouraged against buying a USB interface because that's what mainly things are going to these days. So USB is perfectly fine. There's no difference in audio quality. It's not a, a matter of audio quality. It's a matter of how many channels of simultaneous, uh, simultaneous channels can you get into your computer at the same time. That's the pipe, the size of the pipeline. That is what's going to determine whether you need firewire usb 1.1 or usb 2.0 i mean right. it's folks, it's folks, all about bandwidth and usb yeah. 2.0 is almost as good as firewire usb 3.0 is better than firewire yeah so i've seen yeah. usb 2.0 stuff with uh, as many as 24 channels uh th that works you know professional grade so uh that that us uh, firewire is in in many ways is becoming a relic of the past in fact it's hard to find a machine with a firewire adapter on it anymore uh, yeah. And and you you you're probably not going to find a laptop at all, so you'll have to get a desktop and put a card in it. So yeah, USB going forward is would be my recommendation. Yeah, it's perfectly fine. And and I'm I'm really waiting for those USB 3.0 to take off. The USB 3.0 is a huge increase in throughput. We're talking a five gigabit per second throughput versus the 480 megabit that you get with the USB 2.0. And you've also got a, a 
a lot of changes that have been made to the USB standard in 3.0 that simplifies the communication of the devices and how they talk to each other. So it, it seems like that 3.0 version of USB shows a lot of promise for people that are now, especially the developers and the people creating the standards, they now understand how people are using it. And I think the next generation of those USB devices shows a lot of promise. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, and the laptop I'm using right now has has a single USB three port. It's got like six USB two ports and one USB three. So they're nice. they're already coming out there. Uh, you know, in in three or four years, it'll be commonplace. Yep. Keep, also, keep an eye open for Thunderbolt because I know some big name companies, expensive companies, are putting Thunderbolt interfaces on their audio interfaces now. So yeah, that, that's going to be really interesting to see that that comparison. It's almost the next FireWire USB comparison is the exactly. Thunderbolt. Exactly. I wish it. USB I wish Thunderbolt didn't exist. I wish it was just USB 3.0 all around. Yeah, personally. Thunderbolt though. That's the problem, of course, is FireWire had all those advantages and speed associated with it. It's the same scenario all over again. Thunderbolt yeah. is 20 gig a second of data on those. PCI uh, E type interfaces, just an enormous increase in speed. And for me that does, I do a lot of video. There's tons of Thunderbolt devices now coming out for video and I start to salivate a little, pardon me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And Betamax was better than, uh, than the regular with the, ugh, I just blanked on, never mind. I was going to make a joke and I just forgot it. So no, well, I got joke. Yeah, and, sorry. And also, um, Blu-ray wasn't as good as you. HD DVD. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Stupid nouns. So uh, <laughs> now that uh, James, uh, I want to skip over in the notes just a little bit and, and come back to this sure. section. So uh, you, you mentioned uh, sticking with the chain of, of audio. So you're coming out of your mixer, which you're using just for mixing. And, and nothing else, right? Just right. combining signals and nothing else. Uh, so that goes out of the mixer, out of uh, uh, a speaker out or a control room out or whatever you got there, into what? Into a USB audio interface. And I've tried a lot of different USB audio interfaces through the years. Um, one of the thing, things that you'll find in USB audio interfaces is, of course, things like inputs and outputs and those capabilities. But what they stress on these external boxes, especially the ones that cost about $100 or more, in some cases much more, is how fast they are. And that's one of the keys if you're doing live music and you have multiple people providing inputs, you don't want your music to be... 2 milliseconds, 10 milliseconds, 100 milliseconds slower than somebody else's that's going into your computer. And so those external boxes are able to keep up with near real-time input on these USB connections. Well, I don't have that type of problem. It's just me. I'm a guy talking, goes into the computer, and whenever I do my editing, everything gets synced up audio-wise anyway. So I don't have to worry so much about the power behind those USB audio interfaces. So the one that I've now standardized on for my systems is one from Griffin Technologies uh, at griffintechnology.com. It's called the iMic. And it was originally designed, as the name implies, for Apple-type computers. But I've been using this since the Windows XP days. It's been around for an awfully long time. It's retail $40. You can get it for much less than that. And it has a um, just a, the eighth-inch jacks on it for input and for output. Very, very simple. And it works. And it works in both Windows 7, Windows XP, and Mac type system. So it's a nice universal device you can use and it just works and it works very well and it sounds very good. And that's what you're hearing me on is that interface going into my iMac. 
I see Steve sneering a little bit about that. He's he, he's he's doesn't believe you. I, I can't believe James is using that. I actually have one of them, and I, I use it as like a utility sound card for different things. I did not know you were going through that as your main audio interface. It is. I mean, and if I could find something that was just as reliable and maybe sounded the same, I don't I don't really hurt for any audio quality on the recordings that I do. So for me, it works perfectly for what I'm doing. Yeah. I, I mean, you sound great, so I can't disagree with you. It's one the, of those things. It, it stymies me as well because I've tried the expensive stuff and just was met with uh, more problems. Yeah, I, I mean, it is. A lot of times expensive is not, is not the answer. The thing that is going to be improved as you move up to better sound cards is the, what's called the converters, the actual devices that convert digital to analog and analog to digital to get that signal into your computer. And that's where that's mainly when you're looking at high-end interfaces, that's what you're paying for is the the craftsmanship, the quality, the materials they use for, to yep. make the converters. And that's like where Apogee makes and links and these, you know, thousand spent thousands of dollars, you're paying for the converters in that case. So and if you that's think about it, get. that makes it makes perfect sense because if you if you're doing music, you have frequencies that go from the very very low to the very very high. You've got uh, a lot of very loud and very soft sounds in there. The converter that's in these devices then, as you mentioned, becomes so important. But for me, I'm a guy talking. My voice doesn't have a huge amount of dynamic range associated with it. It's pretty much the same volume all the time. And this particular device sounds really good to me when I listen to it. So that's what I've gone with. And for 40 bucks retail, it's worked pretty well. And for people who have never used a USB interface into their computer before, um, just sort of a, a, a background on these things. You, if you're planning to record audio into your computer, your computer is a very noisy place, electrically noisy. There's a lot of components inside of it. There's a lot of electromagnetic interference inside of it. And if you plug in an analog connection, either headphones that you're listening to or a microphone that you're going into your computer with, there's going to be an awful lot of popping and noise and buzzing and hissing that comes across on that on that listening to it or on the, on the recording that you're doing. To get around that, use a digital interface into your computer that doesn't suffer from those types of problems. And that's what we mean by plugging in with FireWire or plugging in with USB, because now you're going a crystal clear digital signal into your computer. And it doesn't matter how much EMI is running around inside of your computer. It's not going to affect the quality and the clarity of the sound that you're recording. Yeah, I agree. Definitely USB is the way to go to, to stop the noise. I have to also say that that iMic, the interface you're using there, I've plugged it into almost all of my computers at one time or another, never had to install a driver, and it found it just fine and never had a problem with that. That's my experience as well. Steve had said earlier that he wanted to do a whole show on audio interfaces. Uh, I'm going on record right now is that's next week, Steve. So we're going to okay. do audio interfaces, and, and we'll talk about a whole show dedicated to this conversation we're having right here. I think it'll be fascinating. Neat. I'm into it. Cool. Okay, so uh, you you go out of there into your uh, computer, and from there you record, broadcast, whatever with with your software. There, uh, talk just a little bit about the software that you use. Well, I, I skipped a step actually because I come out of my mixer, or I skipped a step. Uh, actually, I have a new step that I added recently, and we talked a little bit about this earlier. Is I add recently added a compressor to this entire chain of audio. Before, I would come directly out of my mixer into the iMic into my computer. Now I come out of my mixer into 
a DBX 166SXS and then go from there into the iMic and then into the computer. And this is the 166XS and it's both, uh, it's a compressor, it's a limiter and it's a gate. So I have some functionality inside of this that gives me some flexibility on uh, compressing the day, compressing the sound that's going through. So the lows are a little bit higher, the highers are a little bit lower. You can take that that volume of trap, volume of, of the audio going through and even things out so it sounds better for everyone. There's a really nice gate in this particular device so that um, if I'm not talking and I type on my keyboard, it's quiet enough so that it doesn't cause any audio to go out through the microphone. So it attenuates up to a certain amount of noise. And then I've got it set so that the normal speaking noise, of course, goes through. Uh, but anytime I'm typing while I'm not talking, you can't hear any of that, which is really great on situations like this. Uh, and, and there's a, a nice limiter in here as well that absolutely limits the total volume that would ever go through here. Not something I'm going to use in my scenario. I'm not banging on drums. I don't have loud guitars playing, uh, but it's just another nice feature to have in the device. And it was an all-in-one and not much to have for that extra capability. There's a 266XS that doesn't have that limiter. And it, it, I could have probably gotten that one and been fine with it. Um, but it's one of those things where when it's 10 o'clock at night, you need something. That's, that's what you get. It's what they do had they, at Walmart, right? So do they, they have them in pink? <laughs> I wish they did. I'll, I'll paint mine. <laughs> okay. So, uh, I'm, I'm interested in how that interface is there. So you come out of your, um, mixer using a, a, a stereo, a quarter inch to stereo quarter inch cable into that. There are, there are two channels on these devices generally a channel one and channel two um, so if you're a stereo type output like i am with the left and right channel i'm using both of those into this and there's a button on these devices you'll find that's that's made for stereo you click a button and both channels will use the same settings that you set in one place so you don't have to constantly adjust on both sides of the left and right that would be crazy Okay, um, so, so you're using your left out and your right out straight yep. into the two channels there with just like a regular instrument cable because it's Correct. mono at that point or, or balance cable there. So, but how do you get out of there? So you you're coming out with two um, mono cables into some sort of Y adapter into your iMic. Yep, that's exactly it. Just go because the the uh, the iMic itself is it's not even a quarter inch connection; it's an eighth inch connection. I mean, this was not designed for pros, but as I mentioned, it works so well for me. So I simply have uh, a, a pair of connections coming out that split into a stereo eighth inch connection that goes into the iMic. Okay, and works like a champ. It it does. It sounds good, and yeah. you know we've all heard your videos, and they sound good. So it's they, sound, they sound very good. Yeah, I'm I'm happy with the performance I'm getting out of this, especially things like the gate that that I didn't think I would make much use of, but it works so well in this particular product that I use it all the time. Yeah, I think gating is very important, unless you are just in an anechoic room. Sure. And these are, as you guys do more podcasting, you're going to want this device. It's just a such a solid piece of gear and it has so many functions that will help you as a podcast so that gate is is smooth as butter it's the nicest thing about that the, the interface i think the compressor is nice and if you have the limiter on there you won't you can't clip anything i mean you could literally scream in your mic and it will not clip into your computer so it's uh it's definitely worth the money and mark found, we you found at least a 266xl cheap on ebay right yeah, I have, uh, uh, yeah, 266XL. I paid $75 for $20 shipping. So under 100 to get it to my doorstep. Yeah, it's a great piece of gear. 
And if you're broadcasting live, um, it's indispensable because there's zero latency. So you're, you don't have to use any software effects. You could run everything through that and get good sound to your live viewers. Yep. Yeah, I'm, I, I don't know what the if if my listeners notice the difference but there's there's definitely less uh background noise live i was always i was filtering that out post anyway right but for the people listening on the stream you're getting uh and you're also getting compression which uh, hopefully smooths things out and makes it a little less um annoying <laughs> <laughs> nice. okay so uh following the chain uh now you're at your software and we talked a little bit about that before when we talked about your your workflow, but let's uh, let's go over that just briefly here, and then we'll come back to uh, some of the other stuff. Well, I use a, a lot of different kinds of software, and most of the software that I'm doing when I'm doing live events is done with a video switching product. And that's for those of people who are watching live. If you're able to see the part online when I'm switching between uh, my my machine and able to show myself in a picture in a picture and able to show a separate camera, an IP camera on the other side of the room, that, that video switching capability I'm doing through a piece of software called Telestream. Uh, um, or it's from Telestream. It's products called Wirecast. And uh, it is a great functionality that allows me to have this live type of video switching. And it's so simple to use that I can easily go through and demonstrate and show you different things on the screen and move around and, and give you a feel for what you're looking at, but then very easily change things so that I'm back talking to you full screen or perhaps adding a lower third to the screen so that you can see other aspects of that. So it's, it's one of these nice capabilities that if, if you only had a camera, then you probably would only be seeing a headshot the entire time I've been talking. But because I have that video switching capability, I can integrate other computers into it. I can have video that I can roll. I can have audio that I can layer into it. Just makes a more professional environment. And I wanted to do a lot more live events. And I felt the only way to really do a live event and do it with quality is to have a product like this that I could at least bring to the table and show things, capabilities like this, so that it's just easier to watch for everybody. All right. Uh, we've talked about Wirecast before. Uh, minimum is going to be around 450 and you can go all the way up to like 1500 if you buy all the widgets. Uh, it's expensive if you're on a budget. It's cheap if you consider what gear it replaces. Yeah, yeah. I, I've done tons of searching. There's not a lot out there that can do a Wirecast at least could do at the time. I, I was trying to do live green screening. Wirecast was the only one that really did that at the time. VidBlaster does it now. But Wirecast also has the ability to grab screenshots from other computers on your network. And James could like literally switch to other com screenshots from other computers live and like he's doing now. And uh, that's another feature of Wirecast. There's not too much out there. I've searched uh, aside from buying like a TriCaster. Is that what they're called? TriCasters? Right. Yep. Yes. Yep. Yeah, that, that can do what this does. So it's really good software. And those are going to start in the thousands. Yeah. So it, it's it's cheap in, by comparison. But, you know, on my budget, it's not cheap. So it, video it's is all hard. about perspective. Video is really difficult to do. And video and pulling video in from other video sources that may be running at different resolutions and different formats, integrating third-party cameras into the mix that are also running at different resolutions and different formats, layering on all the graphics in real time, it's not a simple process. So it is, it is a very expensive piece of software, but it, it runs so well and it looks so good that for me, it made a lot of sense. Are you running all Mac, James? 
I am today running all Mac. I didn't okay. used to run all Mac, but um, um, the Wirecast is a new thing for me running on the Mac side. I could do everything else I was doing on the PC side just as easily. And of course, there is PC versions, Windows versions of the Wirecast as well. Um, right. And uh, But currently, yes, everything is Mac OS X. Got it. And the you know the Mac has a long history of uh, being dedicated to live and and studio quality audio video, so it's it's a natural fit in some ways. As much as I like to deride Mac whenever possible, you got to give it to them. It's it's been their their legacy for a long time. I, I try to try to remain operating system agnostic. I have uh, Windows based training courses. My website is all Linux. Um, the the Mac is 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 just a, a a tool for me that seemed to work best for what I was doing. No, it's a holy war. You you can't be neutral in a holy war. I know you're a Mac lover. That's, that's what you get that's, accused that's, of. That's you're that's a fanboy. The, the labels they it's difficult because I'm in a in a position where I'm trying to train people on technology and they go down that road and I have to say you know if you knew all of those you know how great it would be if you walked in a room <laughs> and told a prospective employer oh I know right. Apple and I know Windows, and I know Linux. And they look at me like, what? No, it wouldn't. One's worse than the other. And, and the arguments <laughs> yeah. continue. Yes, there's room in the brain for all, th- all the knowledge there of is. all three. Absolutely is. All right, so when you don't need Wirecast or, or uh, uh, need more than Wirecast can do, whichever the case may be, what, what are some other tools in your uh, arsenal? Well, when, when we aren't doing live events, I'm usually recording training classes and the training classes that I do are all offline. I don't really have a camera rolling while I'm doing training because I'm sitting here and going through take one, take two, and take three of these different pieces. So I have two things that I use. I have software on my computer that I use to um, to capture the screen. And I use Camtasia from TechSmith to be able to do that. And then I have another camera that's running. It's, uh, it's difficult to see in the wide shot, but I have a set of cameras up here and to my right. One of the cameras is the one that I'm using for the podcast, but I have a Canon HG20 that I use for what I call my talking head on my presentations that I record because it has a hard drive and it records everything to a 60 gig hard drive. So when I'm done, um, I can simply plug in a USB cable, transfer the file down that was recorded. It's an AVI file and I'm done. I don't have to do anything else. I don't have to take it and digitize it and replay it through. I immediately have that video that I can use and start editing right away. Anybody used to do video using uh, the, the mini DV tape and how the, 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 the time to dump it back to the PC was equal to the time it took to record yeah. the video? Yeah. Oh. I still use a HV30 that has a digital tape, but I, I use it only for, because that camera has a, a FireWire port out, and I use it for the live broadcast. But I have to say that digital tape, that on, at least on the, on the HV30, it looks so good, and it's an HD camera. It yeah, it's totally raw, uncompressed, uh, but yeah. it's massive. Yeah, yeah, it's true. Yep. And that's what I used prior on all of my training courses prior to getting the HD20 was a tape-based uh, Canon Optura 400, $399 at the time, not worth much now, uh, standard definition to tape. And after I'd finished taping for an hour, I plug it in and I go try to find something else to do for an hour while it re-records everything into the computer. Um, I can't even imagine doing that now. I, I shot 12 new videos today. And I would have to stab somebody if I had to do that 
again. <laughs> you do a lot of face stabbing, James. I do. <laughs> he, he didn't say in the face. No, not this time. This time. He but was, it was uh, implied. <laughs> he was non-specific this time. <laughs> it was absolutely implied. Right. Um, uh, so uh, again, James gets James gets my vote for uh, Camtasia too. If you're doing screen capture, it's a killer program. You could add so many cool, professional-looking effects, callouts, blocks, lines, text, all kinds of stuff. It's real easy to use interface too. And what's the cost on that? Uh, they jacked it up. Those guys at TechSmith. It was. I think it used to be like one ninety nine. The Mac version's ninety nine. I think still. But now the PC version, I think, is two ninety nine. Yeah, but they do, have a whole studio for the Intel side. Uh, yeah. Mac's just basically screen capture. Oh, I got gotcha. you. That's why it's um, only 99 Let's see. By yeah. Camtasia Studio for the PC, it would be $299. you are absolutely correct. Yeah. It's good stuff, yeah. though. Do, just download the 30-day free trial. It's fully functional. And use it as much as you can to see if you like it. All right. Uh, what, what else you got software-wise? I do a lot of, um, obviously, post-editing. There's a ton of work that goes into the pre-shoot. Uh, There's a lot of work that happens on the shoot. But once I have the audio and the video captured, the camera's in one format. Camtasia is in another format. Um, there are bugs with the Apple QuickTime that exports out of Camtasia so that even if you decide to put it in a different format, it doesn't put it in that format. Sure. These are the trials and tribulations that anybody working with video understands. Yes. Um, so one I of the things you, you have to do is normalize everything. And I, by, by normalize, I mean get everything in exactly the same format. The video formats need to be the same and the same number of frames per second, the same amount of uh, the same type of for file format, uh, the same bit rates if possible, and you need to have your audio in both of those formats exactly the same. So I use a couple different pieces of software to do that. The one that I'm using quite a bit now is from Apple. Since I'm using an Apple computer, um, it, it tends to work a lot better because there are some standardized video editing formats that are Apple-specific but give me very high quality and very high speed when I'm editing. So I use a product from Apple called Compressor that used to only be available in the very high-end editing tools. Now you can buy it separately. So you just pop out to the Apple store and you buy it and now it's on your computer. Um, so it's very easy, $50, and it handles Ooh. a huge amount of the video and audio encoding I do before I begin the, the editing process. After I'm done with that and I'm ready to create a version for the web, I use a product called Handbrake. It's absolutely free that will take the output that I've created from my video editing software, which I use Final Cut Express. I don't use the Pro because I don't need it. I just need a basic dual track editor. Uh, and once I have that done, I throw everything into a script in the handbrake that outputs MP3 in different video formats, sticks them in different directories, and I'm done. Nice. Nothing left to do there but upload. Nothing left to do but upload, which is a challenge in itself. But it's nice that you can now get it into a format that YouTube will like. You can create an HD format that somebody can watch on their PlayStation if they want to get my DVD-ROMs uh, or on uh, just off their computer. I got a, a small type of format that's created if somebody wants to put it on their mobile device that's not high resolution, doesn't take up so much room. And that's just all created automatically. Right. That's, that's interesting system. Um. When I was trying to really get into video for my podcasting and other things, I looked at options like that. And I, I did use, I had Final Cut Express. Um, I, I wasn't using Compressor, but here, here was the problem I was running into, James. Like you said, you have all these different 
video files in different formats and um, I had a, just a, a Core 2 Duo iMac and I had to just convert all these video files into the proper, like you said, normalize all the video files. I got tired of doing that and I actually switched to PC. That's the reason why I switched to PC for my video editing because I bought an i7 PC because I couldn't afford a Mac Pro, which would be right. three times as much money because um, there's a lot of time waited as you're rendering these files to convert them. And I bought Sony Vegas and I, I tested every video program out there. Basically, I wanted a program where I could take any type of format of file, throw it into the timeline in the software and it would recognize it. Final Cut Pro does it now, but back then it didn't. Um, but Sony Vegas actually does a good job. You can throw anything at it. It's fast. It's slim. Um, I just throw all kinds of video files, WAV files, MP3 files on into the program actually in real time. Um, and it, it can actually uh, work with them. So. That's why I switched to PC, but you start you don't get that, you know, it just works factor of Mac when you when you're doing like a PC. Sometimes you get crashes and bugs and stuff. So there's a trade-off. But that's you know, I'm just uh, sharing what I did as far as my video stuff. I started this company on a PC with Sony Vegas. Um, I think Sony Vegas has the best interface for working in the timeline and setting up your transitions and moving video around it is like fast. butter yeah it's fast it is it is intuitive it is so nice um but i ran into a pro here's the problem with all of these things with sony vegas with um with uh, adobe premiere pro with apple final cut is they all have different strengths and weaknesses not just in the editing but the output section and the product that I was working with for my output needed flash and uh, Sony Vegas at the time, I don't know if they still do, didn't have a flash output. I had to put it into a different format and then send it through Adobe's uh, rendering process and right. yet another step. Uh, or I could go use Premiere Pro because it was made by Adobe. It outputted in flash format. So I ultimately moved to Adobe Premiere and Premiere Pro for that reason. Um, but it, this is the problem you'll run into if, if anybody ever starts working with video is 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 that 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 format war that's going on between all of these. You have to figure out the workflow that you're going to use. You got to figure out your inputs, you got to figure out your outputs and somewhere along the line with limited knowledge on how any of this works, you've got to figure out how to get it from point A all the way to mm -hmm. point Z and hope that it's going to work properly. And there will be trial and error and there will be gnashing of teeth and somebody yes. will be stabbed in the face. <laughs> I, I didn't think about stabbing in the face, but now that would probably would have helped me because I went through all that crap. That would have probably made me feel a little bit better. So, yeah, so what I'm hearing here, the moral of this story is don't do video. <laughs> yes. If you're going to do video, call me first and I'll, I'll either talk you out of it or I'll tell you what you should probably think about doing. But it's not it's not a trivial process is yeah. certainly the moral of that story. There are there are a lot of moving parts. And it does have to be done a certain way. Otherwise, you'll shoot your video and it, you'll run all the way through the edit and you'll do the post-processing and you'll find things like 30 minutes into the video, the audio and the video are completely out of sync. And you're wondering right. what in the world happened? And there's nothing obvious to tell you why that's happening. Um, you need somebody with some experience who can say, well, your formats are different in the audio and the video that you're doing. This is just going to happen. There's, like you said, there's a whole chain of events that have to happen. 
and each chain will break. Each link of the chain will break as you try to do this, and you will have to find out the best way to make the chain. And so. they will break differently every time with no <laughs> with no standardization, and well, what not. you use to fix it one time won't fix it the next time. <laughs> right. Now, fortunately, once you find the flow and you find the formats that work for you, you find your intermediate format to edit in, you find the final format that works well with whatever you're going to use that format in, once you got it, you're golden. Yeah. Um, and it's very, very hard to change. When I moved from PC to Mac, uh, I literally was going to throw this machine out the window. I was not happy at all. In fact, I called my Mac people and said, you guys are full of crap. This is a piece of junk. It doesn't <laughs> even do basic video editing. How can you say this is the best thing to use right. all over? They tell me, I've read the marketing. I it, it all says that Apple is the best thing to use for this. You're absolutely wrong. This is the worst decision I ever made. And they said, how are you doing this? <laughs> I said, well, I'm doing it exactly like I did it on the PC. And they said, oh, you don't do it that way. It's a completely different way of doing it on the Mac side than you did it on the PC side. Right. And I said, tell me how this works. And right. so they went through the process and it was a completely different way of doing huh. this. And I made and it. And today it works fine. It's I'm happy. And it, it's, it's every, the, the, the sky is blue and the sun is out and the birds are singing, but it took <laughs> some time to get out of the rain. <laughs> so once you change the way you do everything, it's easy. Yeah. See, it's simple. And it just works. Well, the reality is, of course, is there, there are advantages and disadvantages to every operating system. Um, I'm sorry, did we already talk about that? Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and so I want to circle back a little bit and talk about uh, something that you're uh, almost oddly passionate about, and that is uh, headphones and the, the audio monitoring system. Man, I love my cans. Um, I have a lot of different headphones that I use in different environments. Um, when I'm here during the day and I'm not on camera, I have a pair of AKGs that I use that are um, opened-sided microphones. They're just not attractive. And for those of you watching the feed, you can kind of see that. Now, they're not unattractive. There's headphones that are on my head. But Huge. When I use, they're, they're really big. <laughs> um, and, and so that, be, that becomes visually something that I just didn't like in my videos. So I wanted something that was a little bit more streamlined. So I got these Sennheisers. Um, I actually put into the show notes the exact Sennheiser model. I think it's a 61. Uh, what did I put in there? Let me make sure I get it right for those IE6 of you. or HD280? Yeah, these are the IE6s that I have in my ears right now that are the in-the-ear headphones. They've got little hooks on them that, that flip around the ear and, and fit right in there. But they're, they're hard. They're really, you don't see them unless you're really looking for them. They're certainly not a big thing on the head. And the problem is that I can't hear things around me because they're in the ear. So you, they're great for airplanes, and they're great for not seeing a lot of stuff around me. Um, it's just difficult to hear what's going on on the other side of me. The audio I, quality. I could just yeah. never buy a product called IE6. I just, I couldn't. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's, it's, uh, fortunately, these do not crash, and I don't have any incompatibilities with any of the audio that I'm listening to. How about ActiveX? Does it, uh, is that a problem? It is, so don't, don't try to run them with ActiveX. So, uh, since they're in the ear, my question is, uh, do you get an excessive amount of bass from your own head? When you're talking, which is what I often uh, encounter with the, the in-ear, the particular ones that go in the ear canal, almost to the point of being unlistenable and certainly makes it impossible to mix your own voice. 
for me, it's the other way around. I get more higher level frequency response. I get more of a tinny sounding to me when I'm talking. And we've been talking for about an hour now. And I can tell that my voice is getting weaker as I'm talking. But if I go back through my audio that I've been listening to, and I, I think about this when I'm shooting video, and I thought, wow, that last video has to sound like junk. Uh, but I go listen to the video, and it sounds just fine. But it's because I'm getting so much more higher frequency huh. feedback in my head that it sounds like to me that I'm sounding much scratchier. And how can anyone listen to this? But it's just because they're stuck in my ear. Interesting. And how's so, the quality of audio out of those? They're not bad. They, they're not very bassy um, okay. on this particular model. There are some that really focus on bassy, but you can't get too bassy with these because they're so small. That's the real challenge you have with any little tiny headphone that sticks in your ear. And you always hear people complaining when you're looking at reviews of this, the bass wasn't very good. Well, no kidding. It's this big. It's like a speck <laughs> that's inside of your ear. What were you right. expecting out of that? Um <laughs> Yeah, so, so mi you know, mix with your big cans, get yes. the mix you're happy with, yes. and then audit with the smaller ones. Correct. That's exactly what I do. Um, the, I used to use the Sennheiser HD280s, uh, which are around, I like around the ear headphones. I don't like on the ear headphones because they're on my ears for hours at a time. And I don't like anything pushing in on me and squishing my head together. So I use a lot of around the ear headphones. The previous ones I used were the Sennheiser um, HD 280 Pros, and those go around the ear, and they are completely silent. They keep all external noises out, um, which is great because I have three kids and a wife, and I'm just, you know, the disposal's clogged. I hear nothing. There's nothing going on. The dog ate something. <laughs> nope. Can't. Why would you stop using them? Um, because... I have three kids and a wife and they just get tired of yelling at me whenever they have to come in and literally hit me and say, Hey, uh, I'm trying to talk to you. I'm trying to get something done around here. Um, there's important things we need to discuss. And apparently you've heard nothing of the damage that's going on outside of your office. The, <laughs> the, the HD uh, 280 were just, there was just too much keeping everything in, but I, I love them. They are great headphones yeah. because of that. I use them in my music studio, especially when they're broken in. I mean, if you first oh, yeah. buy them and don't like them, you got to just break them in and then you'll like them. They really yeah. sound good. They squeeze your head quite a bit the first yeah. times so you put them on. But they do, as you mentioned, they do break in and sound good. The, um, the AKGs that I have, the K240 Mark IIs, um, they're open on the sides of them so that there is every sound that's on the outside is one that you're able to hear. You can see the little vents that hmm. are you sort of see the little vents that are on the side of those. Yeah. So you can hear everything externally perfectly well, and you can hear the audio coming through the headphone perfectly well, which is a nice mix for me. Does that ever result in bleed over into your mic from the, from the openness of the headphones? It does not. Um, and, and I don't know exactly, maybe I'm not, I don't turn them up very loud. Um, so perhaps that helps a bit. And now these days, I'm recording exclusively with these, so it's not going to ever be an issue anyway. Right. And by these, I mean the IE6 in-ear devices. Okay. So uh, going back down your list there, uh, cameras is what we're up to next. You're the only guy who really has uh, a really uh, vested interest in cameras and in that your, your primary breadwinning product is, is video. So I'm interested in hearing what you have to say. I think anybody who works with video is never happy with the cameras that they have, and I am no exception to this. Um, I have the Canon HD, HD20 that I mentioned. It has HDMI output. I have no HDMI input. 
That's what you want, <laughs> isn't it? That's not the combo you're really looking for. You want something that will output in a format you can use. So it can't be my live camera. So for live, because I have an iMac that has no input other than FireWire uh, um, right. and USB, I've uh, and FireWire cameras that are HD are both difficult to find and expensive when you do. So I've decided not to get that because later on I am planning to go fully HDMI everywhere in this office. So in the meantime, I've gone with the Logitech series of cameras. I use a Logitech 910 and uh, the bus, the USB bus on the iMac. There are actually two USB buses on the iMac. So I can plug one 910 into one and one 910 into the other and still run at full HD or at least 1280 by 720 on both of those simultaneously with no loss or slowdowns or any problems with wow. frame rates. That's great. Yeah, it works quite nicely. And uh, video quality of them, it's good? V video quality, very good. Not so good in the format that I have right now that I'm running on. It's okay. Um, I'm not even running in, this will do full HD, um, but I'm not even running it that way. Uh, the real problem I have with it is there's no way to connect it to anything. As you can see, if you've, if you've seen pictures of this thing, it's designed to fit over um, uh, just uh, on top of a monitor or on top of a laptop. There, there's not a place where you can screw in a tripod mount. So You know what works really well, James? A regular microphone stand. It will clip right in there where the microphone stand is is separated. Uh, or the, the clip for a mic, you slip that uh, thing in there, and they work perfectly. I use mic stands for camera stands all the time. Wow. What, what I ended up doing is because I have a lot of tripods and no mic stands, um, I just took a bolt and I super glued it to the bottom. That works too. <laughs> and now you can screw in your your mount for your tripod, and there you go. Super glue. Gotta love it. Works great. Yeah, and so that's a, that's a standard machine threaded, whatever, you know, you can pick yep. it up at the hardware store. I didn't even. I just had one sitting around and kept trying till I found one. Oh, here's one that works. There you go. All finished. Here's some epoxy. Boom. Done. Nice. There's, there's plenty of YouTube videos that goes through exactly the sizes of everything you would need. Now, let's talk about the need for you know, HD and, and all that sort of stuff. Is that, um, that's a buzzword, right? But is it really something you actually need to do? I mean, right now we're streaming at, uh, I think Ustream gives us 320 by 240. So that's, <laughs> that's way far from, from HD. So even if right. I were feeding it in HD, it wouldn't do me any good. Right. Um, and of course there are some services that will stream HD for you and you can pay a little extra for some of those to be able to do that. And I think for the most part, you're right. Um, live HD isn't necessary for for uh, everybody to do. And for what we're doing, certainly not. Um, even for the things that I do, the live events that I do, my training classes that I'll do, I'm not doing HD on those. I'm outputting at, at some other 960 by 940 by 360, something along those lines, uh, which is just under. I'm still 16 by 9, but I'm not outputting at 720p. Um so really not a huge concern. My biggest thing for HD, though, is that if somebody was to buy my product and they wanted to watch it on their, their television at home, I have people that buy it, they stick it into their PlayStation because it will play MP4 video files. And I want to have a 720p version of that so when it pops up on their screen, it's crystal clear. They can see everything and it's in yeah. beautiful HD when they do that. 
Yeah, that's a good way of doing it. If you don't mind me jumping in here, Mark. And I, I was the same way when I made my laptop repair videos. It was like four years ago. And I'm like, got to do HD. HD is the big thing. HD is where it's at. And then when I was doing my podcast, I'm like, I got a podcast in HD. HD is going to be the big thing. And I, fa I found even today, it's not for two reasons, I think. One is bandwidth on the internet. People still cannot stream HD in so many places that they don't they just don't watch it in HD. And the second thing, which I didn't expect, was most people watch videos, I think, on tablets, phones, and small devices. So it's pointless anyway. I go with 480p for most of my stuff now, and I, I've not one complaint that we there's no HD version. I think it's perfectly fine. In my scenario, I wanted to prove a point. Um, I, I create these videos and they're absolutely free to watch. So uh, when I started again four years ago, nobody was really doing HD, just like Steve said. And that's exactly why I wanted to do it because nobody else was doing yeah. that. I was yeah, the I very first training course to come out for these, these types of topics that had any option to get a product that was a 720p HD option. And yeah. I, I wanted to exceed people's expectations when they ran into this thing. You see something for free and it's a training class and they think, is that really going to be any good? And then they watch it and go, why did I spend money on something else? Which is exactly the response I wanted to get. Uh, and so for me, it was more of quality and over, uh, over providing uh, a set of quality to someone. And that's why what really drove me to do everything HD, do it, do it, do it and have it. 16 by nine and very professional looking. If it's yeah. worth doing, it's worth overdoing. That's exactly, I know exactly what you mean. That's, that was my, tr I would try to make that my selling point too with my laptop videos. That's why HD splattered all over the site. But um, I found more people wanted it on DVD than anything. Yeah. <laughs> that was my, my main request. But you know, you're right. Over deliver on that. That would be, that's a great selling point. I, I'm, I know exactly what you were thinking. All right, and so in order to make sure that you look as good as you can look a mm. in glorious high definition, sure. you got to get your lighting right. And I'm guessing you don't have just a clamp lamp hung from a rafter with a, an incandescent bulb in it like I do. So talk a little bit about your lighting there in your studio. Well, I certainly used to. Um, my very first videos that I did on InMap, I had no lighting. And if you've ever priced lighting before, it's horribly expensive. How do they get this kind of money or a light, and, and yet they do. Um, and the reason is that it's very hard to get the right kind of light to do pictures and to do video. It has to be something very specific that's designed for that type of thing. And so it's, it's kind of expensive to do this. Um, so when I did that in my little office that we see right here, um, I set up garage lights, like 1000 watt halogen <laughs> lights, uh, multiples of those. Um, and it was a sweat box. We had to, we record for 15 minutes. We clear out the room. We record for another 15 minutes. We clear out the room. Not very practical, but it's all I had. Um, later on, I invested in some regular lights, some soft boxes, some floodlights that you would get that's traditional video lights. But again, for a home office like this, they get hot. They're halogen lights. They get very, very, very warm. Um, and so I knew that I wanted to do very uh, involved and very long-term type video presentations like this one. We've been sitting here for well over an hour, and I've been sitting here with LED lights. It's kind of hard to see in the picture that that uh, I'm showing there, but the lights that I use are LED because there's practically no heat coming off of these. Certainly, relatively speaking, there's just it's inconsequential. 
Um, my air conditioning's going normally like it normally goes, and I don't know that they're turned on. So it's nice to have that type of technology available to do that. These are 1,200 light LEDs. In reality, there's 600 lamp LEDs, 600 LEDs in one of them, and I'm able to adjust the color temperatures. I'm able to adjust the brightness of the LED. Um, they're not inexpensive. They are they are relatively expensive to get these things going. Um, but the, for me and the number of videos that I shoot, it was worth the expense to know that I could just turn them on and they could be on all day. Wow. I'm looking at the price. I mean, but you, you got to pay. I mean, if you want the professional results, you got to pay. You do. I it's, mean, we're talking uh, upwards in like $600 for one light to be able to do something like that. It, so it was a significant investment. Other than your personal comfort, are the results better? The, the results, well, it's, it's one of these situations where it's a different kind of light. You have to change now how you do lighting. I used to do a softbox on me and I'd have a fill from another side and I don't do that anymore. Now I've got these set up with, um, it's, it's not directional light on me. It's one where I've had to trial and error this. It's, it's actually, I'm using, you can see a little bit in pictures if you're watching the live stream, where I have the lights actually facing the other direction and they're reflecting off of umbrellas. These are, are studio photography lighting umbrellas. It's not just, you know, umbrella you take outside. They're specifically designed to reflect light off the inside. And so what you're seeing on me is indirect light. It's a, a nice, smoother light. It also lights the background quite nicely. And it seems to work pretty well for what I'm using it for now. It's neat, James. That's cool stuff. It is. And it's, uh, it's really worked out nicely. I, I was very, very worried because I've never used LEDs before. It's a lot of money to spend. I got one of them. And it worked out pretty well. So let me get another one and I'll probably get a third to have a little bit more fill on my background. But that's, uh, it's, it's really uh, been a nice, nice solution for the way that I work with my videos. So you're just scaring me away from ever doing video. <laughs> it's, it's not video is hard. It's not easy. It's difficult <laughs> and it's expensive. And it uh, in terms of podcasting, I'm not sure there's much of a payoff. Uh, Accomplished the, the sense of accomplishment. That's what it is. Sure. Think, <laughs> think of think of it that way. I could take up Bakram yoga and have a sense of accomplishment. <laughs> <laughs> or is it Bikram? Bikram. That's what it is. Anyway. Uh, so that's it. That's the long, exhaustive list of of equipment and yeah. uh, we appreciate you taking us through all that that was really cool going through the whole mix so did we leave anything out no that is everything now i have other things in my office for uh, audio backups and i have other inputs for my satellite radio that goes into my mixer and things that don't necessarily apply to the video or to the podcasting side of things but the the production side of things we covered it from a to z awesome steve any more questions no, that was, that was very interesting. I enjoyed that. Thanks, James. All right. So we'll move right on to our uh, closing uh, segment of the show, the things you learned this week. And uh, I will go over mine uh, uh, quickly because it's a simple one. Uh, and it's one that we've talked about a number of times before, and that is make multiple copies when you record. Why and, is that, and, Mark? Uh, just this week on the show that I do on Thursday nights that's released on Saturdays, the periodic table, uh, for reasons I do not understand, I don't know what happened, but somewhere along the line, at uh, for some reason, at about the 48-minute mark in the uh, roughly hour and seven minutes of the show, um, the audio on my laptop that I was recording onto just started getting all broken up and crappy, and I don't know why. 
it, huh. everything was fine and just suddenly boom it was crap so uh but fortunately i have two other backup sources there uh that are not quite as good but they were good enough, particularly for this show. This is a, a very uh, uh, from-the-hip sort of show anyway that I usually don't do a whole lot of editing on. So I was able to bring in, in this case, I used the Ustream audio because it was what I had the quickest access to. Uh, so I brought in the, the Ustream, downloaded the Ustream video, stripped out the audio using Format Factory, uh, threw it into Audacity and spliced it in mid-sentence. And I defy anybody out there to find where the uh, spl- uh, splice was. <laughs> nice. Uh, it was really cool. Good job, Mark. Thank you. So, uh, Steve, what is your uh, lesson you learned this week? Well, when James was talking about his setup, it got me really thinking about it because uh, I I even wrote this before James started talking about his setup. I'm switching a lot of my uh, audio computers where I, I do music production over to PC. Now, this has always been my problem between Mac and PC for me, especially with audio and some and any type of creative whatever that I'm doing. I can afford fast PCs. I can't afford as much fast Macs. So I, I've been running some equipment like Studio One software and other uh, software on my Macs to do audio recording. But lately, I've been adding a lot of plugins to these soft the software, and that requires more CPU. I'm talking about like reverb effects and different effects and synthesizers and things, and it, I just needed more CPU. So I'm like, well, I got two i7 computers I'm using on my podcasting rig. I'll switch them over and use them for audio. And I, I do this, this happens to me every time when I switch from Mac to PC. Whereas the Mac, especially for audio, and this is not for just a generality, just for audio, just worked with my hardware, just worked. Mac's core audio is very good for hardware. And when I switch over to PC, I'm just getting little problems. Sometimes the program won't load. Sometimes I get static when there's recording. Little things. This is, as, this is and always has been the difference between Mac and PC for me is where Mac really does. For me, in a lot of cases, just works, less problems. PC will run faster, but now I'm dealing with problems and I'm spending more time trying to figure out those problems than actually making music. Once they're figured out, I think everything will be smooth, but that is what I'm dealing with now. So lesson learned is just, well, whatever you could take out of what I said. Yeah, and I think that's exactly right. I think the reason Macs tend to be more expensive is that they uh, uh, spend more money on the uh, auxiliary hardware. You know, it's a, it's the same Intel processor and whatever that a, that a PC has, but it's it's a better Northbridge and it's a better uh, set of audio and, and video, and, and that's why they cost more. But, you know, in some cases, you do get what you pay for. Yeah, that's true. And having said that, Macs suck. <laughs> I have to say that I do a Linux show. If I don't do that, I'll lose the, my license to do a Linux show. Uh, trust me, I understand. Yeah. I am I am a Mac lover, according to some people. Right. All right. Now that you've had a chance to rest your vocal cords a little bit, uh, Steve, what is your lesson you learned this week? Other than never agree to do an hour and a half show where you're doing all the talking. This is um, one of these scenarios where I was going through what it as we were building this podcast. What does it take? to get one of these videos shot. And you were saying, this is not easy to do. And in fact, I was looking at all of the things that I have to do to get that to, to, to work properly. And at the end of it, once you've gone through that whole process, there's all of these files that you've been working with and all of these things. And for me, the thing that, that I realized is you have to be very organized. And even with just audio podcasts, you have to be very organized with where you keep these things, how you separate them into different folders, 
for me, I'm looking at just one of this, the training videos I shot. I have an audio file that's two and a half gig that came from my Canon camera. I have a 1.1 gig audio, uh, video file that came from my Camtasia screen cam. I have the original Camtasia file that's about the same size that I had to put into the new video format, so it's on my hard drive. I have the Final Cut Pro document that was used during the editing process. I have the keynote or the PowerPoint presentation that was created that was the screen part of it. I have a document file, a word processing document that was created so that I could put in the text that I would use for YouTube and on my website to describe the file. I have an icon JPEG that I use to put on my website, a smaller version of that JPEG that goes into a different section of the website, and a PNG file that's a full-size screen grab that I use to be the opening screen on the YouTube file. So all of those files is just one five-minute video. So I have to do that with the other 12 that I shot today. So it's important that you keep that organization in mind when you're building out your podcasts and you're building out your videos. Do you have a checklist that you go through or did you, I'm sure at this point you can do it in your sleep, but did you originally have a checklist that you went through? Not necessarily a checklist, but I had, um, you had to have that, that format in place. You had to have that workflow figured out. And once I had the workflow figured out, there's certain shortcuts that I use. If I'm recording something on the screen, I name the file with SC for screen cam at the end of it. If it is from my camera, it has a dash camera at the end of it. If it is my um, keynote file, that obviously has a key, but each one of these files that I work on also has a version number after each one of them, a V1, a V2, a V3. Uh, my graphics files also have a dash icon, a dash S, a dash PNG at the end of them to help me remember which one of those it is. So leave yourself lots of breadcrumbs, the, the Hansel and Gretel version. Lot. Just put, if you think you're going to need it, just name it out. My file names are enormous and it comes in handy later on. Yeah. Huh. I do the same thing when I record everything. It's, I use extremely descriptive names mm -hmm. uh, and that uh, it saves having to decipher your own code later. Yes. All right, guys. Well, this has been a great show. I, I have enjoyed it, and I uh, look forward to future. Every This is one of the shows I really look forward to the most because I learned the most on this one. And uh, the next series that we'll do on this one is probably be four or five weeks out. We'll be, uh, I'll walk you through my ghetto rig. So you've uh, heard those guys <laughs> talk about, you know, James has his expensive A1 sort of stuff, and I'll show you how to do something on uh, on a shoestring and a lot of duct tape and a little bit of bailing wire. So, uh, uh, awesome. Yeah, yeah, it sounds good. You should trademark that for your rig too. And sell, sell it. Yeah, Ghetto I'll rig. do that. Ghetto rig. Ghettorig.com. <laughs> uh, so this is the part of the show where you guys sell your stuff. Steve, go. Well, now that you mentioned it, uh, if you guys want to know more about how to podcast, want to watch in uh, video form, and uh, know exactly how I started my podcast network and everything I did to keep it running and maintaining and expanding, check out howtopodcast.biz. That is uh, the video collection I made, and I think you'll like it. And that's, uh, what, about 10 hours of video? It's about 10 hours of podcasting video. I had a couple in-studio guests when I was making the videos. Um, they're all completely edited with screenshots and nice little pictures and editing and all kinds of cool stuff so is it available as an audio download as well it's not but i think that that's a good idea and i might do that 
All right. Uh, James, what about you? My absolutely free training videos that are designed for the IT professional can be found at professormesser.com. And if you'd like to see something that has nothing to do with technology, I do a podcast every week called What a Week that you'll find at whataweekpodcast.com. All right. And my name is Mark Cockrell. I do some podcasts here and there. Uh, and you can find those at elementsopi.com, which is probably where you found this show. So it's a little self-referential, but that's okay. Elementsopi.com. Go to the forums there and uh, and post your questions or comments for these guys. And, uh, the, and I will be their intermediary. Uh, actually, they will probably go read the post. But uh, I've already had a couple of uh, show topics that you guys have uh, posted up there that will be shows in the future. We like hearing from you. We like uh, knowing that you're out there and that you're engaged. So uh, we appreciate uh, any feedback you, you can give us at elementsopi.com. And having said my website for the fourth time within a 30-second period, I think it's time to call it uh, quits and say that that ends this episode of The Art of Podcasting. <laughs>